Gospel for Heathens, part two. The title of the message is A Roadmap for Gospel Freedom, or A Roadmap to Gospel Freedom, Galatians 2. Um, we're going to talk about how to get there, how to get to gospel freedom, but first we're going to hear Paul's story of what it looks like to live gospel free. Somebody say gospel free. Oh, you got to say it like you're free. Say gospel free. And we're going to look at how we get there at the end of this message, but we're going to look at what it looks like at the beginning of this message. Don't blame me. It's just how Paul maps out this second chapter of Galatians. So first, what it looks like then, how to get there. But here's what I want to do first. I want to read the part where he talks about how do we get to the place where we're gospel free? How do we get to that place where we are gospel free? This series is about avoiding an in-crowd mentality. And what the gospel comes to do is the gospel comes to annihilate boundaries that we put up between ourselves and others. It comes to eliminate boasting that we put on ourselves to look down on others. And what the gospel comes to do is the gospel comes to announce to anybody and everybody that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be accepted before God in heaven. He can be your father. You can live with confidence knowing that he's for you not against you. And if you know that you are accepted by God, whose acceptance do you need other than that? Sets you free. So when we talk about gospel free, that's what we're talking about. So let's read though the part where Paul kind of talks about how to get there. Uh, Stand with me as we're going to read the last part of Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. Here's what he says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. In other words, we were the ultimate in crowd. He's talking to Peter, by the way, here. We we, we were the in crowd, Peter. We weren't those nasty Gentile sinners. Yet we know. We came to a realization. What did he say? That no one, a person, is not justified. A person is not justified by works of the law, uh, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, so we also have believed in Jesus. We Jews have also believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law. Because by works of the law will no one be justified. Say justified. It's a big theme of this passage. We're going to talk about it at the end of this message. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were to be found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? What he's saying there is, even though we're Christians, we still know we struggle with sin. And he says, does that make Jesus like the author of sin? No. He says, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down... I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been, these are very famous words now. You're going to all recognize this. Most of you will recognize this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not nullify. In other words, I do not take advantage or I do not eliminate the grace of God because if righteousness could be, uh, could, were, were, were able to come through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, he says, if I could be justified by works of the law, by obeying the commandments, then Christ died for nothing. And what Paul is basically making the claim here is that only through Christ can we be made right 
with God. And here's the gospel freedom point of this. If we are right with God, we'll be right with everything else in the world. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a privilege to worship you and to come into your presence, to gather in this place and to hear you speak. It is my sincere desire that every person here or watching my video will hear your voice. May the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and help us to see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Gospel freedom. The question we have to ask and the answer first is, what is gospel freedom? What do I mean by this? Um, you're meant to be free. The reason why the human condition is constantly looking for freedom, liberty, independence, is because we are actually created to be free. God's first words to mankind in Genesis chapter 2, look it up for yourself after this message, is God saying to Adam and to Eve, three words, you are free. You're free to eat any, other, any tree of the garden except for this one. You are free. We are created to be free. This is why as a teenager, you struggle to get free of the control of your parents. When you're in a job, you struggle to do things on your own. When you, when you step out on your own and you start a business, the reason why you do that is because you're created to be free. But, but what, what is the problem with us finding freedom? Because it doesn't seem like we're all that free. The more we try to serve freedom, the more we look for freedom, the less free we sometimes end up being. So here's what I want you to know. There's a difference between gospel freedom and worldly freedom. Okay, let's look at worldly freedom. Worldly freedom is I am free to be me. Now, you have heard this statement, I'm sure. I have heard this statement. Ad nauseum. I mean, if there is one consistent anthem of pop culture singers, it is this, I want to live life on my terms mantra. You know, it started with like Sammy Davis Jr. I gotta be me. What else can I be but who I am? Sammy fans, anybody? Frank Sinatra, he said something like this. I did it my way. Right? Carried on right into the A's Bon Jovi. It's my life is now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanna live while I'm alive. Right? Bon Jovi, anybody? Bon Jovi? Right to the present day, Katy Perry, come on. Baby, you're a firework. Come on, show them what you want. Make them go, oh, oh, oh. I just want to go to I don't know the words. Yeah, yeah. You know. You don't want to encourage this in me. I mean, this is intoxicating. This is intoxicating. No wonder why they do it. 
Like that's worldly freedom, huh? I'm just gonna be me. I'm just gonna be okay. The problem is, is the more you try to be you, the less happy you end up being. It, it, it's true. Because here's the truth that you don't want to face and I don't want to face. You don't like you. You don't. You think you do. I mean, you serve you. I agree. You love you. I agree. But you don't like you. And the reason why I know this, really, I think, and I say this all the time, but you only really come to realize this when you have kids. Like, it's just something happens. And what happens is God, in his infinite wisdom, gives you a kid that's just like you. And everybody tells you they're just like you, and you're like, no way, no way. And then, and then you realize they are just like you, because your mom is still alive to remind you they're just like you. And they keep telling you that you stink. That's basically what they're saying. You are a bad, rotten egg. Look at you. You're terrible. And you don't really like you. And here's the problem with trying to be free to be me. I don't like me. I know me has got some crazy ideas some crazy beliefs, some misconceptions about what life should really be like. And I just think about that song by Sammy Davis, like, I gotta be me. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I've got the lyrics here to the whole song and, and it's just amazing how he is searching for this thing that he actually gets. And, and how many know that sometimes you can search for what you want and get it and still not be happy with it? And, and he says this, he says, that faraway prize, a world of success is waiting for me. If I heed the call, I won't settle down, won't settle for less, as long as there is a chance that I can have it all. Well, that's not being free. So, so you're, you're going to give everything that you can to get it all. Well, you're not serving freedom, you're serving having it all. And then he says this, I'll go it alone. That's how it must be. I can't be right for somebody else if I'm not right for me. Man, if there's ever been a mantra in, the, in America that has resonated to this day, it is, I got to be right by myself. I got to be okay. I got to be centered. I got to be okay with me. Like, that's basically what he's saying here. And I got to be free. I got to be free. Daring to try, to do it or die. I got to be me. I mean, it sounds good, but I don't think it produces the results that we want. I mean, how many stories do we have to hear about people who have served themselves and chased the dream and then caught the dream and they still feel empty? Like, just speaking of the Patriots, it made me think about the fact that, you know, Tom Brady, when he won his third Super Bowl when he was like 26 years old, and everybody thought, wow, you're on top of the world. You got everything you could ever ask for. What else do you need? I mean, what is it? What is it like to have everything? What's it like to be at the top of the world? And and it was a 60 Minutes interview. Maybe some of you remember this. And he says, I don't know how to say it, but there's still something missing. I, and, and the interviewer was like, really? What is it? He goes, I don't know. And, and of course, the easy answer is to say, well, you're missing Jesus, you know. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he's missing Jesus. Here's what I do think, though. I think that he proved for all of us here in New England that you can have it all and still feel like it wasn't all that. Which should kind of give us pause to this idea of I'm free to be me. So I think we need to cross that out. So we put it on the screen, right? Just if you've written it down, just cross it out. Put it on the screen so you know how to cross it out. That's what it looks like right there. All right. That's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for freedom to be us. As we have determined we should be. Because we might have bad ideas about what we should be. And, and, so, and so here's what gospel freedom is. I'm free to be what God has called me to be. 
I'm free to be what God has called me to be. Now, this is not a place in your notes to write this down, but I do want you to write it down. You can write it down on the back, on the side, however you want to write it down. You can write these words. I have a calling in God. See, see, God never, ever, ever makes a person without a purpose. God never, ever creates life without something for that life to accomplish for his purposes. I've got a calling. You've got a calling. Everybody say, I've got a calling. One, two, three. I've got a calling. You are called by God to do something. And, and, and here's the thing. Only the gospel can set you free to do what God has called you to do. Only the gospel can do that. Because if you know who you are in Christ, if you have acceptance in the Father, if you are right with him, if you don't need to seek the approval of other people, of the in crowds of your world, if that bondage has been broken over your life, then you will follow God's plan for you and not somebody else's plan for you. That is gospel freedom, friend. And here's what I know about Paul the Apostle. He had a call. And, 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 you know, Galatians chapter 1, the last half of Galatians chapter 1, into the first half of Galatians chapter 2, is Paul basically saying, I know what God has called me to do, and I don't need your approval. And I love this. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to apply this personally because Paul's basically talking about himself for the first two chapters of Galatians, but we can draw from his experience life principles through the gospel for our experience. So, you know, just backing up in Galatians chapter 1 to verse 15, he kind of unpacks how he knew he was called. He said, he said these words. I kind of brushed over them last week. I just want to touch on them again this week. He said, but when he who had set me apart before I was born... Before I was born, that's, by the way, verses like that are why I'm pro-life, right there. Before I was born, God knew what I was called to do. Can we just say this? Like, God is pro-every life possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no, listen, listen, before you come. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. There are plenty of illegitimate parents. But every child is loved by our Father. So before I was born, though, before I was in, while I was in my mother's womb, God set me apart, called me, there's the word, called me by his grace, verse 16, was pleased to reveal a son in me in order that, so I was saved for this purpose, that I might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. This is huge for us. Because here's what Paul has been saying so far. He's like, man, I was trying to be the best Jew that I could be. I gotta be Jewish me. Like that's, that's what he was trying to do. He was a tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was strict with the law. He was doing everything that a good Jew should do. And God saved him and said, that's not what I've called you to do. God intervened, interrupted his life and said, I've called you to go and tell people about me who are nothing close to being Jewish. Isn't, it God, isn't God kind of like, doesn't he have a cool sense of humor? Because he takes this guy who wants to be the ultimate Jew and says, nope, go to the Gentiles. He said, well, what are Gentiles? Gentiles, easy definition, anybody who's not a Jew. So I'm guessing that there's a lot of Gentiles in the house today. And, and here's why this matters for us. 
because we are sitting in a church right now around the other side of the world worshiping a very Jewish savior because Paul decided that people who were nothing close to Jewish only needed Jesus to be accepted before God the Father. Isn't that cool? If Paul had never followed the call of God on his life, we might not be sitting here. And yet he did. And he said, this is what I know I'm called to do. I wonder, do you know what you're called to do? And if you know what you're called to do, the only thing that's going to propel you to do what you're called to do and not what other people want you to do is when you understand that you don't need approval, you don't need acceptance, you don't need value from others, you can follow God and let the chips fall where they may. And this is what Paul is outlining for us here. Now, now it's so important that you get this, that when you understand what you're called to do in God, what you're called to do in God, when you understand that, expect resistance. Expect some people to not like it. And this is what Paul unpacks for us in chapter 2. So backing up in chapter 2, verse 1, he kind of tells us a story. And, and, and I'll just kind of like summarize it, read it, kind of summarize it. He says, after 14 years of preaching, and what is he saying? I preached the gospel for 14 years. Then God told me to go to Jerusalem. And then he says, I brought Titus with me. Somebody say Titus. Who was Titus? Titus was a Greek. He was not a Jew. He was somebody who had converted to Christ and, and, and came to Christ from a Gentile background. He says, and he says, I went up before them and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. And then he says, in order to make sure I, I did not run my race in vain. And then verse 3, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised. In other words, they didn't force him. And I didn't let them force Titus to become Jewish in order to become Christian, even though he was a Greek. Yet, look at this. Here's the resistance. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, I think this is amazing. Paul says the enemy didn't come from outside the church. The enemy came from inside the church. Like, like, like Christianity has its enemies. Can I tell you the most dangerous enemies are the ones that are in the church itself. They present false gospels. They present uh, works added to the law, works added to the work of Christ to make you acceptable. And so that's what we talked about last week. Like all the rules that we pile on to people to make them more like us. And really God's not interested in making people like us. He's interested in making people like Jesus. He says these people slipped in. And then verse Five, to them, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. This will be up on the screen. We didn't submit to them even for a moment. In other words, we didn't let, we didn't force Titus to become circumcised. That would, that would nullify the grace of God in his life. And why did he do that? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And then he goes on and he says, listen, those who seem to be influential, in other words, the people who tried to make me like them, the people who tried to force me into their mold. I love how Paul sees them now. He says, those who seem to be influential, what they were, look at these words, makes no difference to me. Wow, that's freedom. What they were doesn't make any difference to me. That's how you know you're free from the opinions of people. You're freed because you know you're accepted by God. You don't need to be accepted by them. That's what Paul's saying here in Jerusalem. He's saying, I didn't need to be accepted by them. What they are is no difference, makes no difference. And then, ver and then continuing verse 6, those I say who seem to be influential added nothing to me. They couldn't do anything to me. They didn't, they didn't dissuade me. 
See, see, this is what Paul is unpacking. He's like, I went to Jerusalem. I went to the Vatican of Judaism, if you will. And the temptation there was to have my brother Titus become Jewish so that the Jews, the influential Jews there, would like me. He says, I didn't give in. They tried to force. I said, no. I wonder, I wonder for you, who are the influential people who try to force you to do things that go against what God has called you to do? I remember when I was called to do this job. You know, I'm, I'm an outlier, if you will, in some ways. I mean, looking back on it, I see it more and more. Like God called me to be a preacher at the age of 13 years old. I understand not everybody does that. Not everybody has that experience. Grace of God. I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you this is what God did in my life. Actually, I kind of think I wish he did it after high school. How many know what I'm talking about? Because I, I was called to be a preacher, and I still had to go through public high school. And I would, like, drive with kids in my car. I'd be listening to gospel music. They'd make fun of me. They'd be like, what is wrong with you? Have you never heard of ACDC? I'd be like, I don't know. You know I just love this stuff. And, and, and so I remember, though, that when I got to that point where I had to start thinking about colleges, I went to my guidance counselor, my high school guidance counselor. And, and her question was, what do you want to do? I said, I want to preach the Bible. I'm going to this school, Bible studies, all this. She said, I'll never forget. She said, what? Don't you want to make money? I'm like, I, feel, I, I, I don't know about money. I just, I just need to do this. I know what God. She's like, don't you want to go to a more substantial School, get a, get a real degree. These were, this was a guidance counselor. Come on, somebody who seemed to be influential. How many know that the powers of this world aren't all that sometimes? See, Christian, you need to learn how to ignore, even though they got a title, doesn't make them a professional. Doesn't make them an expert over what God has called you to do. So I don't know what I'm going to do. She's like, how are you going to provide for a family? I'm like, I'm 16 stinking years old. I don't have a family. Right? So then there was another time where I was kind of like surrounded by the educated wing of my family. Every family has like the educated wing, you know, like the super overachievers, the people who make you sick on Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about? And <laughs> sorry, there's probably some people here like that. We love you. Amen. Praise God. But, 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 but they sat me down. They said, hey, Tim, are you, you're not serious about this pastoring. You're not serious about this Bible stuff. Come on. Same, same statement. How are you going to make money? How are you going to provide for a family? These are family members. They, listen, seemed to be influential to me. They seemed to be important. They seemed to know what they were talking about. But here's what you need to know. They were selling me a false gospel. It was the gospel for them. It was the gospel according to making money. The, the unintended message was, Tim... You need to make money. How are you going to be anybody? How are you going to be significant? How are you going to be valuable? How are you going to survive? How are you going to live if you don't make money? Now listen, listen very carefully before you get ahead of me here. There's nothing wrong with making money. We have people in this church who make a ton of money. I'm so happy for you. Fantastic. That's great. But what I'm saying is don't let that be the thing that defines you ultimately. If you can make all the money that you can make in the world, do it and give as much of it as away as you possibly can. Be generous like your father is in heaven, but ultimately always root yourself firmly and finally in the God who paid for you with his son's blood. And not your income. 
and not, and not your friends and not your neighborhood and not whatever in crowd you're chasing. This is what Paul is talking about with his life. Because I knew what God had called me to do and because I knew what God had done in my life, I didn't need to be forced. I didn't feel and I could resist the forces of the world around me that tried to shape me and conform me into what other people wanted for me. The only way you will ever get to the point where you can truly and freely follow God is when you root yourself in the gospel of Jesus. Then there was another point in chapter 2 where he says Peter came along. This is in another town. It's in Antioch, verse 11. He says, Peter came to Antioch. And look what it says. The very next passage says this, and I opposed him to his face. Wow, Paul was not a nice guy sometimes. I opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. These are strong words for Paul. It says, before certain men came from James, these are the people in Jerusalem, the Jews, he was eating with Gentiles, people who were not Jews. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing the in crowd. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And then verse 14, Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He doesn't say, when I saw that they were kind of being rude. No, 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 no. When I saw that their, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that God accepts all men who call on Jesus, regardless of their ethnicity or their upbringing or their social status or their income. God accepts all men. When that, was, when that was tainted by Peter's actions, I said to Peter in front of everybody, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, I want you to notice what Paul does here. He's not intimidated by somebody that he probably would have been intimidated by if the gospel hadn't taken root in his life. Because think about this. He's opposing Peter. He's rebuking Peter. This is the Peter. This is Pearly Gates Peter. <laughs> this is the only other human to ever walk on water Peter. This is day of Pentecost. Peter. This is the guy Jesus said to, I'm this, on this rock. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter. This is that Peter. And Paul says, I stood up to him when I saw his conduct wasn't in line with the gospel. What boldness. Like, like what boldness? Because what was happening was Peter was eating with the Gentiles in Antioch because there was mostly Gentiles there and he was eating like a Gentile. He was having a shrimp cocktail and bacon. <laughs> that was a preacher joke right there. All right, anyway. And then the Jews show up and Peter says, ooh, I better stay away because my Jewish friends are here. He's trying to, what is he trying to do? He's trying to fit in with the in crowd. Peter, Paul says, what are you doing? You know that you can't live up to the law. You know that this, this claim, this, this um, uh, sacramental law, this is nullified in the grace of God. And, and, and you act like a Gentile when Gentiles are but when Jews show up, you become a different person. Do you know what the gospel sets you free from? Putting on the masks for the different crowds in your life. So you got the work mask, you got the church mask, you got the family mask, you got the other side of your family mask. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you're always placating, 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 placating. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you accept me? Do you accept me? Do you accept me? Gospel freedom is rooted in the acceptance of God. 
so that it doesn't matter who shows up, you're the same person because you know what God has done for you is much better than anybody else can do for you. That's gospel freedom. So that's what it looks like. Now, I've told you in the beginning that we're going to look at what it looks like, but then we got to find out, well, how do we get there? Because I, I think that you all want to get there. I want to get there. And, and so what Paul does for the rest of chapter 2 and what we read when we stood up was, was he kind of outlines for Peter how you get back to gospel freedoms. Because here's what you need to know and what I know from my own experience is that as much as we want to rejoice in gospel freedom, there's constant enemies coming to rob us of our freedom. And what we need to do is we need to remind ourselves of what God has done for us and what we could not do for ourselves. We have to continually hear the gospel so that we are continually free from people's opinions. So three realizations that Paul unpacks for us. I'm going to go real quick. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first realization the gospel comes and gives us is this. I cannot be right on my own. That's the first realization you got to come to 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 receive the gospel. I cannot be right on my own. Everybody is looking to be right. Everybody. What I'm saying is, Everybody is looking for righteousness. You say, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. I don't care about righteousness. No, you're looking to be righteous in some way. Even if you're not a Christian, you want to be right with someone. This is why people that you know, maybe even here today, that aren't Christians say, I want to feel centered. I want to feel you know, I want to feel like I'm right with the world around me. I want, to get, I want to get to a nice place in my life. This is all the nonsense from the gurus of Hollywood. I want to get to that place where I feel good about me. Like, you want to be right with you. Whatever. Everybody's looking for righteousness. I'll prove to you that all of us want to be right with something. Have you ever looked at a picture, a group picture, that you're in, and because you don't look good in the picture, you hate the whole picture? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's a terrible picture. Look at that picture. Everybody else could look stunning. You look bad. Terrible picture. And, and what you're really doing is you're seeing your flaws from the outside, and you're saying, no, that can't possibly be right. I'm not right. How about this? Have you ever, or not have you ever, but when was the first time you heard your voice from the outside of you? I'll never forget the first time I heard my voice from outside of me. I was like, oh. I sound like that? All squealy and squirrely? Really? That's how I sound? Like, it's really hard for me to watch me preach. On vi- it re- I have to force myself because, man, I'm like, ah, that's not right. You know, creatives really struggle with this because here's what creatives want. Creatives always want to be right with their work. I read about this Oscar-nominated director, actually nominated this year. I'm not going to share his name, but he's nominated this year for Best Director. In an interview, he said, I never watch my movies. I can't. They say, well, why can't you watch your movies? He says, because I see all, this, all the mistakes I made. What's he, what's he looking for? When he says that, what's he looking for? Righteousness. No, not, not biblical righteousness. I understand that. Artistic Righteousness. Everybody's looking for righteousness. My, my, my father-in-law, Pastor Geyser in Norwood, he's a fantastic painter. You, you, some of you don't know this. Fantastic. He is so skilled. Uh, and he gives us his paintings as gifts. I love them. We put them up on the wall. 
Now it's come to the point where we know when he comes over, we have to hide the paintings. And the reason why is because he'll come over to the house and he'll look at the painting that he painted from years ago and he'll say to Cheryl, Cheryl, I think I want to take this home. I want to fix it. The color's not right. This is wrong. I don't think so. And the first couple of times we believed him. So we'd be like, yeah, cool. We're getting a new updated, you know, fixed picture. So we'd give him the picture. We would never see the picture again. Then we have to hide the paintings now, you know? And, and he would always give us replacement pictures. But here's what he was doing. He was seeing the mistakes that he made. We couldn't see the mistakes as far as we knew. They were fantastic. But guess what? He was an artist. He was a creative. And he wanted to be right by the work. Some of you are perfectionists. You want to be right in everything. You want that standard, that impossible standard. You keep serving it. Some of you are neat freaks. Some of you are OCD. All these things are, are the human condition to seek out this sense of being right with our world. And Paul says, the best thing that could ever have happened to me as a Jew was to realize that I could never, ever be a perfect Jew. I cannot be right on my own. I cannot be right on my own. So, so look at the passage. What does he say? He says in verse 15, we, we were Jews, Peter. And, and we weren't like those nasty, gross Gentiles, remember? But then we realized as Jews that, that we couldn't be justified. We could, another word for justified is made righteous. We couldn't be right through the law. And, and, and Peter, we had the best law imaginable, and we couldn't do it. So that's why we came to Christ. We came to Christ because we knew that only he was the perfect Jew. He was the perfect man. He was what we could not do, and he did that for us. And when we realized that we couldn't beat what we needed to beat, we couldn't obey the way we needed to obey, we couldn't love God the way we needed to love God, we realized that, and we realized that that was the best thing that could happen for us because once that happened, once that happened, we stopped looking to our own righteousness and we started trusting in Christ's righteousness that God gives us as a free gift through faith in Jesus. See, there's a... There's, this is a point that I kind of want you to understand. Christians, if you have your notes, write this down. Christians don't just repent of their sins, they repent of their righteousness. Because ultimately, there's nothing that I can do that measures up to God's law. There's nothing that I can do that, that makes the cut. And so I stop looking to my record and I start trusting in Christ's record for me. There's a famous phrase in the Bible that we constantly misinterpret. When I say this phrase, many of you will be able to finish this phrase. If you can, please do so. We misinterpret this verse all the time. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's how we say it like that. Here's how we think it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and be more righteous. And all these things shall be added unto you. That's how we think it. So we, so we ignore the pronoun. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and not your own righteousness, his righteousness. And when you get a hold of his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you by because you're adopted into the family of God and now you are a child of God and God shall supply all the needs of his children. Awesome. But the problem is that some of you are still trying to boast in your righteousness. And so that's the second realization that we got to come to in this passage in Galatians chapter 2. Realization number two is the law is meant to kill me. <laughs> you know, I don't understand this. Follow me for a second. The law in the scriptures is exceedingly hard. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever tried to obey God? Have you ever done this? You leave church, you're like, I'm gonna do it. This is gonna be the week. I'm gonna please God. Pastor Tim really fired me up. I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. By that night, you're cursing and swearing at your kids. Right? You tried and you couldn't do it. And the law is meant to do this for you. The law is meant to show you you can't. This is what Paul means when he says, through the law, I died to the law. Through the law, I realized I can't live up to the law. And see, this is why when Jesus shows up on the scene and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, I always get a kick out of Christians who say, or people, not Christians, who say, well, I just try to live by the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, that just proves to me you've never read it. Because if you ever read the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not defeated by the end of the sermon, I don't know what to say. You're ignoring what it says. Because here's what, here's what Jesus does with the law. He doesn't devalue the law. He doesn't eliminate the law. He elevates the law. Because he says things like this. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look lustfully. Elevates the law. Elevates the standard. It's easy not to physically commit adultery. It's a lot harder to not look lustfully, isn't it? God's saying, Jesus is saying, there's a deeper problem with you deep down in your heart that stops you from even aiming at pleasing God. So, so we, <laughs> this is what Christians are famous for doing. We take things like that that Jesus says. And so we say, okay, here's what we got. I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's, let's give some principles for how people can stop lusting in their heart. This is what we always do. So we get men from a church like this. We send them to a men's conference. Somebody gets up there and says, I know you're looking at porn. I know you're looking at poor. I know you're lusting. So here's what you needed to do. Jesus said you got to cut out your eye. You got to you got to throw it away because it's better to be in heaven with no eyes than in hell with two eyes. And so here's what you need to do, man. You need to start bouncing your eyes. You need to start bouncing your eyes. Literally, I kid you not. I've heard this preached before. So when you see a beautiful woman, you just bounce. You just move. <laughs> see another one. Oh. Can I ask you what are you supposed to do at the beach? Walk around like this. It was a wonderful day at the beach today. Wonderful day. No, there's women lying there too. <laughs> and we take what God is trying to teach us that we can't do it and we try to add principles to help us do it. We've missed the point. 
The point is that the law defeats your best attempts so that you stop putting your faith in your efforts and you start putting your trust in the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into your body through Jesus Christ. What God wants to do with you men is not help you bounce your stinking eyes, but to be able to look at a beautiful woman and just say, glory to God, that is a beautiful woman. And not to feel I need to have her for myself. It's, this, is what, this, is, this is gospel freedom. If you're taking notes, write this down. The purpose of the law is not to make bad men good. It is to make good men realize they're bad. So that we come to the end of ourselves. And you never get saved until you realize you need somebody to save you. So number three realization is Christ came to rescue me. Unpack the three realizations again. I can't do it on my own. I can't obey the law. Christ came to rescue me. So he unpacks it. I have been crucified with Christ. Verse 20. I've been crucified. I no longer live. What is he saying? I'm not trusting my ability to obey. Christ lives in me. And, and the life I now live, I live how? It's up on the screen. By faith. I'm trusting in God to change me. I'm trusting in God to root out that deeper issue of pride, of jealousy, of animosity, of resentment, of ignorance, of hatred, of whatever. I'm, try, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in Christ to root that out of me. And next week we're going to talk about how that happens. But then, and then he says, it finishes like this. I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. You see, you see the painting of your life that you've been trying so hard to perfect. You know and I know. You're always going to see the flaws and the mistakes. But what you have to understand is 2,000 years ago, Jesus came along and saw your marred painting and purchased it with his blood and gave you his perfect record. So the last thing I want you to write down is that we base our lives not on what we have done, but on what Christ has done for us. And when you get here, friend, you will finally and firmly be able to ignore all the false gospels that people try to force on you and fulfill the call that God has placed on you. That is gospel freedom. Stand with me.